You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Hey there. For my heart radio, this is Autism's First Child. However, I'm neither John Donvan nor Karen Zucker. My name is Alexander Ritchie, and I'm one of the producers on the show. And today, I'll be grabbing the reins. So, episode six, Christmas in Forest. Back in December of 2021, Karen managed to score some invites to the Bank of Forest holiday shindig. The Bank of Forest is still part-owned by Donald Triplett's family, and throughout the production of this show, I've been really immersed in the history of Forrest and learning about Donald's life. I really have come to view Donald as like uh, a notable historical figure. I mean, how often do you meet someone from a small southern town important enough to have a Wikipedia page about them? So I jumped at the opportunity to go to the place and meet Donald, spend a few days with John and Karen. While John and Karen flew into Jackson from the East Coast, I drove down to Forrest from my place in Birmingham, Alabama. It's about a three-hour trip, and I always feel like I'm driving down to Mississippi, coming down the foothills of the Appalachian, down to the farmland, and sometimes down into another era. Central Mississippi is pretty flat, and the ride is sort of hypnotic. In working on this story, I got lost in the 30,000-foot view, starting from Dr. Lee O'Connor's paper from all those years ago that described the puzzling behavior of this little boy from Forest, Mississippi, Donald T., while Donald has lived what is by any standard a really good life, a full-blown neurodiversity movement, capital M, has taken shape. People on the autism spectrum can now share the same sort of dignity and independence that is Donald's day-to-day -day reality. I had so many questions about Donald's life. As a reporter, I want to get below the surface of things and understand how people experience the world. I'd learned so much about Donald and Forrest from making this podcast, but had little sense of his inner life. Maybe I don't get it, but I wondered if he ever feels lonely or isolated. Did being on the spectrum influence those feelings? What would it be like seeing him with his friends and neighbors? I felt really lucky to have this opportunity to peek into Donald's life with John and Karen. If anybody can help me make sense of it, they can. Three hours later, I found myself in Forest, 
Okay, so I'm in uh, downtown Forest, Mississippi, right outside the uh, the bank of Forest, and I'm just gonna grab some sounds. It has that classic southern small town thing going on. The architecture just kind of takes you back to another time. There's a town square with a courthouse in the middle, and all the buildings situated around it are low and boxy and brick. And the storefronts all have signs with that cool old typography. Square-body pickup trucks are driving around, and people are unironically wearing 90s fashions. And just like the rest of Mississippi, the place is covered in a sort of beige patina. It's just beautiful. Now, Forrest calls itself the poultry capital of the world. And I myself grew up in a poultry town in North Alabama, and driving in from the interstate, I recognized that earthy tang lingering in the air. I knew I was in the right place. Karen and John have a big weekend planned down here. Not only are we going to the Christmas party with Donald, but we're going to check out Beeman and Mary Triplett's house. Donald just moved out after like 87 years of living there. So one of the first things we're going to do is drop in on Donald to check out his new digs. His younger brother Oliver lived here alone right up until the end of his life. After Oliver died, Don's nephew, also Oliver, fixed up the place, making it basically handicap accessible, just in case. Then Donald took it over. Oh, we're back at Donald's house and we're going to go in and say hi to him. That was the poorest down rain here. John recorded the moment of seeing the new place for the first time on his phone. The door opens and there's Don. Oh, I'm so good to see you all Hey, Don. Hey, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh. He's wearing a green blazer and a huge funny Christmas tie. Oh, hey there. Yeah, yeah. Donald, good to meet you. Good to meet you. Yeah. I love your tie. That's awesome. Donald gave us the whole tour. I liked him immediately. It's just impossible not to. He's this incredibly sweet man. And he's got a really particular kind of way he walks. It's, well, well, I'll let you listen. So, with Donald as a docent, we start the tour. Is it okay if I come in? Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, maybe Don can give you a quick tour. Okay. Is this the kitchen? This is the kitchen. Okay. That's where my Christmas tree is. So you got some presents under there. Oh, yeah. There are old photos everywhere. I zeroed in on one in particular in a glass china cabinet looking thing of Donald and a woman in a wedding dress. Who is this? Oh, that's a good friend of mine. Uh, she got married on me. But I went to her wedding and I got that picture made. Down the hallway, the walls are covered in more old photos and a plaque with a triplet family coat of arms and, of course, some golf trips. We're playing golf. I think it's... Bellhaven? Yeah, it's Bellhaven University. Where's that? Uh, It's in Jackson. And I am in the Presbyterian Church. And I am with my Middlesex College degree and my Lambda Catholic. 
Alpha Fraternity oh, cool. certificate. So how long have you been here? Since around the 8th of September. Okay. So you're still getting used to it, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm just about to get used to it. Getting the lay of the land, huh? Yeah, getting the lay of the land. Yeah. Well, it's very nice. Donald's new place is a smaller ranch-style home that more or less blends in with the other ones in the neighborhood. It's nice, freshly painted, manicured lawn, and a driveway that was definitely pressure-washed not too long ago. Back on the tour, Don leads us to his office, or as he calls it, the place where he keeps his monitor and printer. Oh, that's where I keep my, my computer and monitor and printer. Okay. Right here. Oh, very cool. And right here is where I go to bed. Then he shows me the outfit he has picked out for tonight. <laughs> and these are the pants I'm going to wear tonight. Let me see. And his impressive collection of neckties. That's pretty sharp. Oh, yeah. In his office, there's a big bookshelf. Oh, and there's John and Karen's book, In a Different Key, prominently displayed on a pedestal on the top shelf. Hey, you got a book up there. What book, whose book is that? In a Different Key. That's why I keep that book about you and, you and John. Well, it's about you, actually. Yeah, actually about me. That's cool. It's a beautiful moment. I could tell John was so proud. He wore this ultra high wattage smile. How does that feel seeing y'all's book with 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 Donald? The circle is complete. Wow. This is a beautiful picture. Oh yeah. We left Don alone after not too long. He wanted to watch the Army Navy football game on TV. Then we went over to Mary and Beeman Triplett's old house. It's pretty Faulkner-esque. Pastel yellow and blue and real pretty soft pink. For decades, the house was famous for Mary Triplett's garden. She had some award-winning flower beds. Now, that's all gone. The roof and the porch are saggy now. Inside, it smelled old and a little musty. So his, this old Sears and Roebuck house, right? The house is still filled with old furniture. You can just tell the place was gorgeous back in the day. After his mom died, Don stayed here on his own, and he really didn't touch a thing. When Don moved out in September, he just kind of up and left. There's even still some pretzels and cheesy poofs in a little container on the breakfast table in the kitchen. After his mom died, Donald was left here alone. He shuttered off the rooms he didn't care about, and he basically created a, an apartment within the house. Two rooms away from his bedroom, there's some black mold spread across the wall, that's part of the house that he effectively abandoned. He didn't visit it, didn't furnish it, didn't heat it. The place did not deteriorate all at once. It, it happened over time. Donald's family for years tried to get him to leave the house behind and find someplace new. But Donald stayed. His choice. He didn't want to spend money to keep the place up either. Also his choice. He is an adult. He does not have a guardian. Given his priorities, it was a rational choice. This was his home and he wanted to be there on his terms. I mean, Donald lived in the same bedroom he grew up in until he was 87. That blows my mind. John and Karen remind me that this devout adherence to sameness and the routine are all hallmarks of autism. From the very beginning and even today in the official definition that, uh, uh, that people on the spectrum really like sameness. They like predictability. They're, they're, they, they struggle with change and, and the... Textbook says 
They have restricted repetitive patterns of behavior or interests or activities, including this insistence on sameness or sometimes inflexible adherence to routine or ritualized patterns. It's not everybody, but it's a lot of people on the spectrum. Definitely true of Donald in a lot of ways. He totally has his routines. He gets up every day and he goes for a walk at the same time. He needs to be at work right on time. He watches Wheel of Fortune at four o'clock. And in fact, when my son Mickey and Donald met, The two of them sat down to watch Wheel of Fortune together because they both love that show. And this repetitiveness and sameness is often really comforting to people on the autism spectrum. Anyway, back at the house, we're up in the attic. Now, we've been warned that the attic floor isn't super sturdy. Are you? (laughs) We're not seriously afraid that it's going to fall, though, right? Let's test it. Yeah, I don't feel like it's that bad. There's just a little crooked, and then there's this thing here. Donald gave us the okay to go up there anyway and look for a carbon copy of Mr. Beeman's 1938 letter to Dr. Connor. We've started referring to it simply as the Connor letter, and it's been the great white whale of John and Karen's research over the years. Maybe it's up here this somewhere. This is a, a good-sized attic, too. This would be like where... You would definitely have band rehearsal, you know. Yeah, and there's stuff everywhere. I mean, it's jam-packed with stuff. Old Christmas decorations, old golf clubs, even Beeman and Mary's traveling trunk, like a real traveling trunk. Suitcases full of letters and stuff. Okay. John and Karen start looking around. This plays out like any investigative journalist fever dream come to life. We went through, like, everything. Sorry. I'm just having, like, this thing that I feel like some animal's going to come out Truth is, though, they haven't been through everything up here. I mean, there are boxes and boxes of stuff, and suitcases packed with all sorts of papers. We were upstairs for like three minutes, and John's already finding stuff they've never seen before. And then he discovers a batch of photos and letters and postcards in this very grand old trunk. Oh, that's when she was in Venice. So this looks like a travel thing. Nice, France, yeah. Yeah, these were letters that the triplets, Donald's parents received when they were traveling around the world, which I guess they did a lot of. A few minutes later, John runs into stacks of love letters, dating back 100 years to when Beeman and Mary were courting. But still, no Connor letter. Brush the dust off. It's time for a break. But after the jump, I've got some questions about love and friendship on the spectrum. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So the attic at Don's house held up, and we managed to climb back down. Thank God. I went back to my hotel and got gussied up for the Bank of Forest Christmas party. And along the way, I stopped at the local Toot and Scoot to do a little pre-game. Hey, man, take your auto, please. Uh, yeah, can I get a, uh, um, just like a small Coke float? Small Coke float? Yes, please. Yes, sir. That'll be it. Which one is The love letters we found got me wondering about Don's life. You see all these photos in his house, and it becomes really clear that he's a person who seeks out connection and values friendship. But Don has never been married, and he's never really had a girlfriend either. Karen told me that there was a woman that he was really attracted to, but things never really worked out. Remember how we talked about people with autism being misunderstood in a previous episode? How does that work with courtship rituals, attraction, flirting, all that stuff that isn't really said out loud? I asked John and Karen about that. You know, you look at it this way, and, and it's something that I've heard from a lot of autistic people who have told me about their experiences, dating, etc. You talk about the language of love. It's not all words. And spoken language can already be a challenge for people on the spectrum who don't get often things like sarcasm or innuendo. But the language of love, a lot of it has nothing to do with words. It's a glance. It's a raised eyebrow. It's perhaps the way you move your body. These are all very, very social, subtle signals that we, you know, most of us instinctively kind of pick up on over time and we learn how to speak that language, but it's far more challenging for people on the spectrum. You know, just think of a thing like eye contact. You know, when two people meet, as they say, their eyes lock. But what if you're somebody who doesn't know when to look away? What if you stare too long? That's then called staring, not looking lovingly, not making eye contact. That's, that becomes something different and can really, really be a challenge for people on the spectrum to know what the timing on something like that is. Look, it's hard enough for all of us, but when you have trouble with those social cues that have nothing to do with what people literally mean, that they mean what they say and say what they mean, which isn't always true in this kind of dance, that's when it gets really, really challenging for people on the spectrum. So on the drive from Forest to downtown Jackson, and I'm crushing this Coke float, and I started thinking about the big universal themes running through the show. Love, kindness, connection, affording others respect and dignity, resilience. I think those intangible things I just listed are, are part of the story that are going to endure for me. Now I'm excited to see Don surrounded by folks from the bank. Karen and John tell me he's been tight with a lot of these people for years, and I'm wondering what Don's friendships are like. Through all of my interactions with John and Karen, I'm not sure I've ever heard them talk about Donald having any friends in Forest who are also on the spectrum. It seems like maybe all his friendships are with neurotypical folks. I imagine building a lasting bond with somebody who lives their life in a different key can be difficult. Here's what John and Karen told me. I mean, people on the spectrum have told us that the reason they struggle so much is they actually do want to make connections with everybody, and they just don't necessarily know how to. They, like all of us, they just, they really, really want to be loved. It's often hard for people with autism to connect. And sometimes it's the rest of us who need to go more than halfway in order to start a relationship. My nephew Sam has known Mickey his whole life, and, and they've never really connected. But after Sam saw our movie, he learned that Mickey was obsessed with cats. The next time Sam saw Mickey, he went up to him 
and he meowed. And that was it. They had the basis to start a conversation. Sam had met Mickey more than halfway, and they connected. I'm glad you brought up Mickey's obsession with cats, Karen. It actually reminds me a lot of a conversation we had with Dr. Pete Gerhardt. Relationships and friendships are bidirectional, and I'm not doing him any favors just by saying, okay, I'm going to talk to you about cats for the next 45 minutes, because then he thinks everybody's going to talk to him about cats for 45 minutes. You know, and I think Mickey and I also have enough of a relationship that I can say, I don't, I don't want to talk about cats right now. And then we'll have like one or two converse, one or two sentences on something else, and he'll try and slip back to cats, because he's smart enough to know, okay, I think I can weasel this back in now, you know. But I also kind of respect that about him, um, that he does that. But he also, I don't think he's ever gotten upset with me when I've said, I don't want to talk about that, or I don't want to, can we talk about something, let's talk about something else right now. Yeah, knock it off is something, right? Yeah, I do say, knock it off. <laughs> well, because I talk to him like he's, a, he's not a client. You know, he's, he's a colleague, he's a friend. Like, I don't know him as a, as a client in any sense of the word. Like, yes, I've given you advice about what I think and, and you know, pointed some directions, but um, I talk to Mickey like I would talk to anybody else. And I think that's um, both appropriate and respectful. And what he told us is... If you really want to experience true emotion, you should have a relationship with someone on the autism spectrum. Because there's no pretense. If they like you, they just really like you. If someone with autism is your friend, they are truly your friend. When they're happy, there's no hiding it. And when they're sad, you can't miss it. When you meet someone with autism and you have a relationship with them, it's the real deal. I don't know if Don has anybody in his life who challenges him or talks to him in the way that Pete Gerhardt does with Mickey. But I do know that Donald's daily routine, if you stand back and take a look at it, is really built around points of connection with the people of Forrest. It seems like everybody in his world is neurotypical, too. So every morning, he goes to a coffee shop, sits around with a bunch of other old dudes. Then in the afternoon, he heads over to the bank. Playing golf scrambles with two or three other people at a time puts him in extended contact with people, and not just familiar friends, but strangers, for hours at a time. We're going to take a quick break, but after that, it's party time. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. The Bank of Forest Christmas Party was actually held in downtown Jackson. It's the capital of Mississippi and also the nearest big city to Forest. When we arrived, Don still had on his Christmas tie and the green blazer and slacks he showed me in his house. He looked great. It's worth mentioning that Donald Triplett loves the holidays. Every year, he even dresses up as Santa for the bank party. And he's famous for giving highly unorthodox gifts. Year after year, he gives his family cheese graters and spatulas. Karen asked his nephew's wife, Ingrid, about it. Oh, have you got to give? Oh, yes, I get gifts. Oh, right, you get wine. Yes, and sometimes, I mean, when he travels, he'll bring back different little things from places, so keychains and magnets and things, so... But at Christmas, I usually get some wine. Seems like you're the only one that doesn't get cooking utensils. In my family, yeah. And O.B. might get something. I I don't know what he gets. I can't remember. But the kids get things like that. The bank Christmas party event is a low-key business casual affair. Open bar, solid buffet with a salad station, yeast rolls, and over there in the corner, there's a guy carving pork loin under a hot lamp. So instead of following Donald around all night with a microphone, I decided to pin a little lav mic to the lapel of his green sports coat. Then, from a distance, I watched Donald do his thing. Hey, so good to see you again. Uh, yeah, I hadn't seen you in so long. Hey, good to see you again. Once we got into the party, Donald navigated the crowd like a seasoned politician, saying hello, shaking hands to everyone he passed, and eventually meandering up to the bar. Don keeps it light. I'm just about to quit playing golf, except when I'm playing in a scramble or something like that. That's about as deep as it gets, though. He assigns numbers to new friends, and he makes up creative nicknames like Drew the Clue or Celestial Celeste. Hey, Lottie Dottie. Hey, Drew the Clue. All right, good to see you again. And it doesn't take me long to realize that Don has a soft spot for female attention. Hey, Donna Foreman. Uh, 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 I've been seeing your car parked at the bank, but but somehow I haven't been seeing you. The whole thing with Donald flirting with these women, it's kind of a game they all play together. A little bit of a conversation all of its own. You know, he is beloved by them, and he's also respected by them. Some of them kind of look after him, and all of them know that he loves the attention, so they give him that attention. And it's kind of their way of connecting back to him. <laughs> Some of the blondes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, he loves the blondes. Then someone asked... Who's your favorite lady? Who's your number one girl now? Lisa Davis Uh-oh. is number one. Uh, then Donald rattles through the list of other women he fancies. Brianna is number three. I and, uh, that. And, uh, and, uh, okay, so Don's go-to maneuver when he's flirting is shooting them with rubber bands. Hey, Lisa. Hey, I just shot you with a rubber band. He carries a bunch in his pocket and doesn't leave home without them. And the ladies flirt right back. No, you got me. The rubber band routine is pretty funny, and it's really endearing. At one point, Donald flicks a woman with a rubber band, and then he asks for it back so he can hit another woman. I'll shoot you next. Uh, Hey, I think I missed you. It's really clear that Don feels at home with these people. He's having fun, and they're having fun with him, too. 
Keep the wine flowing. <laughs> then he sits down at a big round table surrounded by hey, women. Brianna, darling, you look so good. In Their husbands black. all linger not too far away, pounding back long necks of the silver bullet. Everyone is settling into full party mode. And you are on my list. Well, thank you, darling. I'm going to give you something. You on my list. Conversation moved to holiday shopping. Yeah, I'm going to get for that something, too. He's still talking to Melanie. Remember, she's his number five girl. A few minutes later, the speeches started. The president of the bank handed the microphone to Karen. John and Karen are legit celebrities in Forrest. Let's give them a warm Bank of Forest welcome. A combination of the love of the community of Forrest and Don, and we're proud to have been able to be a part of all of this. So thank you. The Bank of Forest CEO, Alan Breland, got back up and gave some remarks. There was dessert and some coffee, and that was pretty much the night. On the surface, it seemed like a pretty typical company Christmas party. But seeing Donald in action answered so many of my questions. The Donald that shows up in Dr. Connor's 1942 paper on autism seems so alone, so disinterested in the company of others. Yet the Donald I met on my trip to Forest, that wasn't him. He grew. He adapted. What I saw was a man doing his very best to find connection. When I got home from Forest, I couldn't avoid thinking about Donald's parents, Mary and Beeman Triplett. And ultimately, all they wanted was for their kid to live a life of independence and dignity. Mary Triplett believed that she and Beeman had succeeded. In 1969, when Donald was 36 or so, she wrote a letter to Dr. Connor. Somehow, she knew that her little boy would make it. He would make his way in a world outside of an institution. While Don is not completely normal, he has taken his place in society very well. So much better than we ever hoped for. If he can maintain status quo, I think he's adjusted sufficiently to take care of himself. For this much progress, ooh, we are grateful. Now, Don's never had any medications for his emotional trouble. I wish I knew what his inner feelings really are. As long as he continues as he is now, we can continue to be thankful. My guess is that Marion Beeman didn't want anything all that complicated for Donald. Just that he'd be safe and protected, loved and happy. They wanted him to have what I want for my son Mickey. Just a place in the world. So, it's really wonderful that that's how Donald's story turned out in the end. Yeah, I mean, when we first reached out to him... Oh gosh, that was years ago. Yeah, at the start... We didn't know what we would find in terms of how his life went. So it was so good to discover that Donald was happy that he had lived so fully and so independently and so surrounded by love and acceptance and support and community. And we got to tell that story in our book and in our movie and in this podcast. But there's one more remaining piece of the story that we didn't get to. Yeah, and it's as important as the rest of it. Okay, so Donald was named case number one when Dr. Lee O'Connor wrote that article describing autism in 1943, and he built his description of autism around several of Donald's behaviors. But not just Donald's. Donald was case number one, 
But Dr. Connor, in the same article, talked about some other children. Yeah, he described case number two, a boy named Frederick. Case number three, a boy named Richard. Case four, Paul. Case five, Barbara. Six, Virginia. All the way up to case 11, Elaine. Now, Connor always made it clear that Donald was the child who started it all for him, where he first recognized the hallmarks of autism. And he made it clear that he based most of his first portrait of autism on Donald. That's why he was case one. He really was where it all started for Connor. But the other kids, they played a role, too. Their lives were also folded into the portrait Connor created. And how did their lives turn out, cases two through 11? Well, Connor got curious about that, too. So he had his staff research that. And about a quarter century after he saw them as children, he published a follow-up article that revealed how Donald's happy story really was the exception. So all of the kids, of course, were middle-aged by the time Connor looked into what was going on. Some of them his staff couldn't even find. One other, like Donald, had enjoyed a pretty good life out in the community. But most of the rest, they had been put in institutions. Some of what Connor reported in his follow-up is heartbreaking. And some had been shifted over the years from one institution to another. Like Charles N. He was transferred to the state hospital at Ancora. 1955. He is still there, now 32 years old. Or Elaine C. In 1951, she was transferred to the Hudson River State Hospital. She is still there. She is now 39 years old. These kids, Connor said in a really revealing phrase, all lost their luster. Several of them sort of wilted. They stopped being interested in the things that used to interest them. They lost some of their unique skills, or at least interest in engaging those skills. One cannot help but gain the impression that state hospital admission was tantamount to a life sentence. A sentence to being forcibly separated from society, isolated, invisible. So why those kids... And not Donald. Part of it, as we went over in an earlier episode, is that Donald's parents were confident enough and had the means to stand up to experts and insist on making him visible to the world. Very visible. But there was something else going on. Those kids had challenges Donald didn't have. They were either intellectually disabled or unable to use speech or or both. And in a way, they were invisible Because of the intensity of those challenges, which society did not know how to engage with or didn't want to. And in fact, there's a parallel thing happening today. Not the institutions part, but the invisibility part. Yeah, a really profound thing happened over the last 25 years or so. During that time, the definition of autism changed radically. It became a lot broader and the criteria loosened up a lot so that people who would not have been diagnosed with autism in the past now do get that diagnosis. For instance, Asperger's syndrome. It used to be its own diagnosis. Now it's officially considered out of date. People who previously got that diagnosis now have autism. So the term autism now applies to many people who, despite challenges, are are nevertheless able to live independently and to speak for themselves and to speak up for themselves, to go to college, to start a career, to find a partner. Even as they struggle socially and face other more subtle but really pervasive challenges, some are especially brilliant people. And it is great to see autistic pride and the energy of the neurodiversity movement, which is led primarily by this group of autistic people. People like John Robeson and Amy Gravino, 
who you met earlier in the podcast. And it's great to see Hollywood getting the message, creating shows now around smart, sympathetic, even inspiring autistic characters. They're surgeons and lawyers and detectives. There's just one problem here. It's not the whole picture. Not at all. There are a whole lot of people who can speak for themselves. And that's fantastic. But there are many people on the other end of the spectrum who can't speak and are not heard. Today, they're the ones who are invisible. They are people whose autism comes with behaviors that are huge, profound challenges to living an independent life. Close to half of people with autism have intellectual disability. I think about a third are nonverbal. Um, I think 70% have comorbid psychiatric diagnoses. I've seen kids who, kids who have to wear helmets and arm stays to keep them from bending their arms because as soon as you release them, they punch themselves in the face hundreds of times an hour until they detach their own retinas. You know, I've seen autistic teenagers that still have to wear diapers that, um, that have no language at all. That's Amy Lutz. She has a son named Jonah who's in his 20s now. Hollywood doesn't make shows about people like Jonah, who is only able to communicate with very few words. Nope. No Broadway shows either. Some of the realities of Jonah's life just can't be romanticized, like how when he was a child, how violent he could get, which is not unusual with the kind of autism he has. No one wants to hear about about the autistic person that attacked his mother or smashed his head against the floor. Like, that's a really disturbing story. And when people say autism is on a spectrum, what they mean is that it's not like a condition that where either you have it or you don't. And if you have it, you kind of look like someone else who has it. What it means by spectrum, it means it's a very broad range of impairment. And it might be extraordinarily mild at the highest end, or on the more severe end, the disabilities can be very profound. There's a lot of disagreement about what single word appropriately captures these manifestations of autism, whether it should be called severe autism or profound autism or something else. But we're talking about 40% of the population of diagnosed people. But for having mothers and fathers who are out there fighting for them, they are invisible in the current conversation around autism. And supporting those children daily, often round the clock, becomes the defining commitment of these parents' lives. Even to the small things you don't think of. In Amy's case, like the hardware on the front and back doors. On the inside. Um, we have code locks on our door, that, on all our exterior doors, where you have to put in a code to enter or to leave the house, which was the thing, the kind of the tool that we found that finally stopped the elopement that had um, kind of exposed Jonah to a lot of risk when he was a, a lot younger. We've had these locks for years. So, um, but when Jonah was younger, he would find a way to slip out. Someone, you know, he'd get out the front door. He dropped out of some windows. Now our windows all have locks. And several times we found him at the base of our driveway is a busy road. We found him walking down um, this busy road on his iPad, you know, with you know, traffic stopped on either side while somebody tried to coax him out of the road and somebody else called the police. Now, to be clear... We've met Jonah, Karen and I. We've spent time with him, and he's a great guy. Connecting with him just takes more effort than maybe most of us are used to, but everybody's got to make the effort. In fact, we wish Hollywood would make more movies about people like Jonah. 
there could be some really cool scenes. Jonah loves to spin. He spins, I don't know that he spins every day, but he spins, sometimes he spins many times a day. It's one of the, I mean, he looks like Scott Hamilton on ice skates sometimes. He spins so fast. And my other kids sometimes try to spin with him. Nobody can keep up with him. We're just not capable of spinning like that. And sometimes he slows down, and sometimes he kind of holds his fingers in front of his eyes and looks into the light. And, you know, I kind of wonder what he's looking at as the world kind of spins around him. The other thing about Jonah's life is his family is so there for him. He's got four brothers and sisters, including a set of twins. So there's a community right there, and they totally have his back. One time when my twins were maybe like five or six, and they had one of those birthday parties where you invite the whole class, one of their classmates said afterwards, you know, if you, you know, if that kid who goes, uh, is there at your next birthday party, don't invite me. And, uh, and the twins were like, no problem. You know, they didn't invite him. He never came over for a play date. You know, they, they were not going to be friends with somebody who, who was like that. Just love that story. But unfortunately, the undertone to it is that people like Jonah still are not welcome in a lot of places, that their degree of disability makes people uncomfortable, which is part of what keeps them invisible in the larger conversation around autism. Or, as Amy summed it up. You know, I think severe autism as severe as Jonah's, you know, I don't really know how many people are affected, but it's not, you know, you don't see people like Jonah out in the community all the time. A lot of people who have it are are isolated. They can't go out in the community. And I think this is going to be a really important, you know, window into that into that life and into those people who do struggle. You know, even the people doing science about autism are part of this problem. A few years ago, the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders reported that the number of studies that include people with severe autism as participants had dropped sharply between the early 1990s and the early 2010s, from 95% to only 35%. And the article suggested that one reason this was happening is that scientists newly entering the field as research funding began to go up were less, quote, comfortable with investing in more severely affected individuals, less comfortable with them. Wow. What a difference from how Leo Connor engaged with the kids he wrote about, Donald and the others, and the parents of those kids. And that matters, too, because in almost every case, parents are the main support system for their kids, for their whole lives, until they're gone. And then what when the parents are gone? Well, one last time to Donald Triplett. When his parents died, he had a community that had his back. A lot of other advantages, too. But without that community, his story would not have been such a happy one. So, Karen, let's close with our favorite story about community, okay? Sure. So this is a story about an incident on a bus and a young man named Nicholas, whose autism was of the most challenging kind. He was not able to speak, and he found learning very, very difficult. But if he could learn how to use the bus system, that would open up his whole world. So for weeks, he and a teacher worked at learning how to use the public transportation system in a small town in New Jersey, and 
For days and days and days, he and the teacher rode back and forth on the same route as the teacher taught him how to ride the bus. And a lot of other people during that same time of day happened to be riding back and forth at the same time. So they saw these lessons going on. And the point came where things were going so well that Nicholas was able to sit alone on the front seat and ride the bus back and forth while his teacher watched from the back. And then one day, the bus came to a stop. And two guys got on the bus and they sat down behind Nicholas and they were not regulars on that route who had been watching this thing going on day after day. They sat down behind Nicholas and as the bus began to move, Nicholas began to rock back and forth and to flip his fingers in front of his eyes. He was stimming, as they say, and he began to vocalize. And the reaction from the two guys sitting behind him, they began to mock him. And they began to lean into him and to bully him. Like, hey, man, what's wrong with you? What's your problem? And then all of a sudden, this other rider from the bus jumped up and he looked at these two guys and he said, hey, what's your problem? He's got autism. Why don't you just back off? And the thing we think this story tells us, it's the same thing we saw happen in Forrest. It shows that when a community leans in and and sometimes even goes more than halfway It really isn't so hard to have the back of someone who's different. It's not that hard to provide the decency and support implied by the word, community. It happened in forest. It happened on a bus. It can happen anywhere. I'm John Donvan. I'm Karen Zucker. Autism's First Child is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. And based on our book and documentary film, In a Different Key. Production, scoring, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Alexander Ritchie. Our story editors are Matt Riddle and Alex French, senior staff writer at iHeart Originals. Original score composed and mixed by Elise McCoy. Voiceovers by Louis Carlozo and Missy Ritchie. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, Elsie Crowley, and Jason English. Special thanks to Ray Conley, Ernie Indradot, and Will Pearson. School of Humans. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.